Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And on this week's episode, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep take us back to 1971 when it took three payphones and ten quarters just to call Cleveland. Liam Neeson is just a man trying to ride a train when craziness happens. Liam Neeson is never just a man. He's still Liam Neeson does he in have, any situation. Does he have special skills, right? Yeah. And who would have thought, finally, Matt Damon would go and get small? All this and more on this week's episode of the film Coterie. What's up, Adam? It's cold. We've had weather issues. It is cold. And this is episode 35 for the week of January the 17th, 2018. And it is really cold here right now. Whew. I'm talking like single digits and up into the teens during the day. And it's been snowing. We haven't been able to get together. We've tried to get together and record this podcast, but it, it got delayed. And we tried to do it over the internet through Skype, and, and that didn't work any better. Yeah, and it's like um, snow and snow and more snow, and it's just wreaking havoc on us, isn't it? So during this snowpocalypse, what have you been into, Adam? Have you been uh, uh, catching up on any Netflix or anything? Uh, yeah, I just finished Wormwood on Netflix. If you're into any true crime CIA shenanigans, it's definitely a series to check out. Oh. About well. the good old LSD trials they put some government scientists through. Nice. Unknowingly. It's quite a thing to be dosed unknowingly with LSD. Acid, if you don't know what LSD sure, is. Sure, absolutely. I, you know, really, I've just, uh, I have some new ventures starting in 2018, so I've just been really busy for work-related things, which may ultimately really benefit our podcast here. So, yeah. Well, I'm excited for the podcast today. We've got three movies to talk about. Uh, the first one's The Post, and I think we ought to just jump right into it. Yeah, let's go. We've been waiting to do this one. All right, let's cue the music for The Post. We'll be right back. This is The Film Coterie. So, can I ask you a hypothetical question? Oh, dear. I don't like hypothetical questions. Well, I don't think you're going to like the real one, either. Do you have the papers? Not yet. This is a devastating security breach that was leaked out of the Pentagon. The most highly classified documents of the war. The Times says 7,000 pages detailing how the White House has been lying about the Vietnam War for 30 years. The way they lied, those days have to be over. All right, and we're back. And our first movie of the night is the highly acclaimed, buzzed movie, The Post, starring Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. And if you've not seen uh, any of the buzz around this, it... It centers around um, a big cover-up that happened over four decades concerning the war in, in Vietnam and things leading up to the war and government kind of cover-up. And uh, the movie actually takes place in 1971, and it is the Washington Post versus the New York Times attempt to blow the whistle and to get the word out. And, I mean, you know, all the drama of a Spielberg film right up to the Supreme Court and a whole bunch of other stuff. And, uh, um, you know, it's it's getting a lot of buzz come award time. So uh, that's the post. Um, Adam, any questions or thoughts? 
this, so this is Spielberg taking a run at, at some material that could be considered dry. Does he bring the, the Spielberg magic to the movie? Does it feel like a Spielberg movie? It, it absolutely feels like a Spielberg movie. You know, it's got that slow build, um, almost maybe too slow. I, I think one of the knocks that I gave the film was it seemed a little bit like it was dragging its feet the first half of the movie. I, I wrote a review on my blog about it, and I said, you know, it's actually a good movie. I mean, overall, you can't really knock it a whole lot. It is a good movie. Uh, it seemed like the pace was a little bit slow in the beginning, but it builds, and then when he when he goes full Spielberg, it's you know, drama, intrigue, are we going to make it, the clock's turning, you know, several glances at the clock through the night as they get down to the deadline of whether they're going to publish or not, and, uh, you know, a big decision for Meryl Streep, who plays um, uh, the owner, uh, the owner publisher of the Washington Post, she was the first, I guess, female publisher in the country at the time, um, so there's a lot of intrigue that direction. And this movie, Adam, has a lot. I mean, it's it's a star-studded cast. Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, Sarah Paulson, Bob Odenkirk, um, Bradley Whitford. Um, I mean, Matthew Reese, you could go Allison Brie. You could go down. I mean, it's, it's literally got like top-shelf actors across the board in all the pieces. Um, and it's got Steven Spielberg behind, you know, the helm guiding this ship. So this movie has to win an Oscar, right? It has to win all these awards, right? It has some stiff competition this year. <laughs> and you and I are already struggling to do our top 10 lists. Imagine what the Academy voters have to deal with. Well, I think you're right. And, you know, I think this is one time that maybe this movie, the sum of the parts are not greater when they're put together, you know, individually, I think they're a little better than when the whole thing comes together. You know, in my mind, I know about the real historical event, but this seems like a tough film to construct to make a real engaging tale. But Spielberg has this gift, and you see it in Bridge of Spies, where he can take a, a true life event. And I think better than most directors, Spielberg can really put himself in the audience's shoes and see it from that side of the screen, not the director's side when he's making it, but from the audience's side. And he seems to have this gift to kind of pepper the movie along the way. In a slow part, he might put in something surprising or engaging and kind of re-suck you back into the movie if you're fading out. I mean, is that on display here, or is it well, is it kind of a dry retelling? Well, you know, without getting into a lot of spoilers, and I don't know how much you can really spoil since this is such, you know, this is basically the, the, the prequel to Watergate. I mean, th this will open up a whole decade of the 70s of political unrest and turmoil and, and corruption and... And, I mean, there's a lot to be said that it could parallel the political climate for today. Sure, and it's very timely. And, and, you know, one of the things I do know about this film is, unlike Spielberg, this was a rushed project. He felt so, comp he felt so compelled about this story and that this story needed to come out right now that this movie took less than a year from start to finish to produce. And it almost kind of has that feel a little bit, like it was rushed a little bit. Like maybe the script needed more time to develop. Yeah, I, I I think so. You know, um, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm coming down too hard on this movie because Meryl Streep is just great. I mean, the woman is just fantastic. She's unpredictable. You know, I thought she would react to certain. You know, of course, she plays the socialite millionaire heiress that that runs the paper, and. And they show her in that light, um, but her reaction at times was unpredictable. Like she might laugh off something that I thought she'd get angry at. 
And so she kind of kept me on my toes, kind of wondering what, what she's going to do. So I thought her performance was great. Um, I, I think I thought that um, the, the the other supporting cast, uh, Bob Odenkirk, that was in Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Right. I thought he was fantastic in this movie. I mean, just that, you know, just nose to the grind, get the story, pull up my, you know, got my source. Now I'm ready to go to publish and you can send me to jail. You can send me to hell or high water, whatever, but I'm not releasing my source. You know, just that 70s gritty. I just thought he was fantastic. And I want to say one other thing really positive about this film the whole atmosphere, it really takes you back to the 70s and not in a disco cliche way. Right, not just a few images yeah. throughout the way it feels yes, authentic. exactly. You know, so many times when we say, oh, we're going to go back to the 70s, you know, you got to get a bell-bottom shot and you got to get a disco cars. shot. You got to sh- shoot the cars. This was just atmospheric like you were back in the 70s. And so really compelling from that, from that perspective. Now... Now the downside. All right. Hit me. My, my one real downside was Tom Hanks in this movie. Really? And I am a Tom Hanks fan. I love Tom Hanks. I, I think he's great in just about, well, there are a couple of things I could say that he didn't do well, but we, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, he just did not, to me at least, did not fit that bill of gritty newspaper editor chain smoking get it done i mean just fight at all he just he just did he's he's too his edges are too soft do you think that was a weakness on paper or was it a, his actual performance well i think it's a combination you know it, it it just appeared he was uncomfortable with the amount of smoking that was required yeah like it wasn't a you could tell it was not a natural process for him uh, and good for him for that, you know. Um, but I don't know. It just seemed forced. It just seemed like he was just a beat off for me. Now, I, I, I'm probably going to get a ton of people to disagree with me, and that's fine. But he really was the one kind of not just thing that wasn't up to par, you know, as far well, as Well, I don't felt. think you're too far off. I haven't read a lot of reviews for it, but all the buzz that I have heard has pretty much belonged to Odenkirk and, and Streep. right. The two real, the two real knocks I have against this movie was overall either the way the way Tom Hanks was directed or the way his his part was written I thought was just not not there, and his wife uh, played by Sarah Paulson. There's a there's one of those important speeches. You know Spielberg always has important speeches right. in his films. She has an important speech that she gives that gives some of the background about. Um, about about the owner and about you know what she's went through and what this paper means, and you're sitting there thinking this is dialogue meant only for the audience. They would never have this conversation in real life, and it kind of took me out of the film a little bit, you know. Gotcha. And so that was kind of a little bit, eh, you know. Overall, I I really did like the movie. I'd recommend it. I think it should be seen. Uh, it, there's some humorous notes and beats in it. Uh, the young kid that played the attorney. Let me look up his name. Oh, what was his name? I thought he was great. And if you can't tell, I didn't say this off the front. I did not see the post. 
So Roger did. That's why I'm asking him the questions. And I will check it out. I just haven't had the chance Je- to yet. Jesse Plemons plays the attorney. And he, he was in... Uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. He, he, he was in the uh, Breaking Bad. But he also he was the attorney defending the post. Okay. And, and he doesn't come off as... I mean, when you first see him, you're, they have him dressed and, and costumed in a way where you're like, who's this young kid? And why is he... Re-? I mean, even, even Tom Hanks' character is like... Where's your boss? You're representing the post, you know? But he's no nonsense. I mean, he don't back down. He gets right in their grill about stuff. No, if people are wondering who this is, on Breaking Bad, he was referred to by fans as Meth Damon because he, he kind of looks a little bit like Matt Damon, especially back in the day. Oh, he kind of does now that you say that. Yeah, they call him <laughs> Meth Damon. But recently, he's in the kickoff to this season of Black Mirror. Oh, um, okay. There's a Star Trek episode, and he plays the captain on it. Nice. I, I thought he had a standout performance. Real, I kept thinking, who is this kid? This guy's really good, you know. And I, I didn't make the Breaking Bad connection to him at all. Um, over, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, for other recent newspaper movies, I was trying to think of some other ones that I liked recently to see how you think it stacks up. So out of the two most recent ones, I, I liked Spotlight. Uh, that was about the Boston Globe investigating the yes. Catholic Church. Yeah, the absolutely. And then um, maybe Zodiac with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I- I mean, if I just right now on the spot, uh, spotlight way better. Okay. Much tighter framed. I mean, just really, I like the way it was the the cutting of the film, the pacing, all that. I just like spotlight a lot better. Okay. Um, Zodiac was good, but I think this is the post is a little better. So I'd put the post between the two of them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts on the post. What do you guys think listening on the podcast? You know. And I was going to ask you too, the audience. I'm guessing the audience skewed a little bit older. If you looked around at all when you were in your theater, yes, yeah, it was it was an older crowd. Um, I'm trying to remember a pretty good crowd too. It was it was a pretty good turnout. So, um, but no, I do like the post. I, I I recommend you go see it. I think it has some flaws. Um, it will not make. It probably won't make my top twenty. Okay, I'm just being honest with yeah. you because it's such a strong year. Um, but a good film, and, and and I say that with I've got like twenty six films that are like four, three and a half, four stars or higher out of five. So it's been a very strong film year for me. You know, in any other year, this would easily probably bump down the bottom of my top ten, maybe just miss the cut kind of deal. So, um, yeah. So that's the post. I guess we'll. Uh, anything else? If, if you disagree, if you think I'm crazy, go to our Facebook page, right? Film Coterie, Fa- and just hop on in and say, Roger, what do you mean? The post was awesome. Or what do you mean Tom Hanks was miscast? I want to hear your response. You know, I will I will dialogue with you on I'm Facebook. still dwelling on this. I can't think of a single role where Tom Hanks has really played either a mean guy or a curmudgeon. He doesn't have it in him. And maybe that's just why... See, I almost wish they would have made him go more even altruistic and even even a nicer guy and kind of be the the moral compass, the real heart and the moral compass of the film. Then I would have bought this. See, this is where I think the rest job comes in. Yeah. If they would have spent a little more time on the story and maybe really made Hanks, they tried to make him the moral compass, but it never really just hit for me. So anyway... That's the post. Uh, Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with Liam Neeson and The Commuter. You're listening to The Film Coterie.
morning. Hey, kiddo. I love you. It's my first time on a commuter train. What about you? Every day, last 10 years. 10 years? You must know everyone on this train. I'm sorry, have we met? No, I'm Joanna. Michael. I study human behavior. My job is to answer one basic question. What's that? What kind of person are you? Let's do an experiment. What if I asked you to do something that could profoundly affect an individual on this train? I don't understand. Someone on this train does not belong. All you have to do is find them. In the bathroom, there is $75,000. That money is yours if you do this one little thing. I thought this was hypothetical. You have until next stop to decide. What kind of person are you? All right, we're back, and now it's time to discuss the newest and maybe last action movie from Liam Neeson. Well, he is getting up there in age. He's 65, <laughs> and if you've seen Taken 3, you know that they don't need to make the man run. He just looked pained in that movie, and there's the famous jump cut when he's going over a fence, and it's cut into like 17 takes to just all splice together him going over a fence once. Oh, my gosh. So, The Commuter. I described it, and other people probably have as well, as Taken meets Murder on the Orient Express. So it's not Taken 4. It is not in the Taken universe. Okay. He's not playing Mr. Taken, John Taken. <coughs> I don't know his name in Taken movie. I'm, <laughs> I'm just calling him John Taken. He's playing an insurance salesman in this movie. Okay. Who happens to be an ex-cop. And if you've seen the preview, he just rides the same train every day. But then a mysterious woman sits down and says, you must find someone that does not belong on this train or it's a, we're going to harm your family. It's a Liam Neeson movie. So, of course, his family's in peril. Now, now, of course, because of this, he does have some special skills being a cop. Yes, his cop skills. Right. Okay. So we're on the right track here. So the movie unfolds. He's leaving Manhattan. He's going, I don't know how many stops, 20 stops. He has to investigate and find the mysterious passenger. And here's a weird thing, because they offer him money, and he doesn't really go for that to do this task. So it's the whole family. We have your family, and we're going to hurt them unless you help us. The plot is ridiculous, because you have a super secret cabal of a <laughs> agency, right, that has all kinds of high-tech powers. They can stop the train. They have people everywhere. And yet they couldn't figure out who this person is. It's a witness that's going to go into witness protection. And they need Liam Neeson to, to do play the, the detective to and discover who she is. Okay. Not, and, and to supposedly take her out, according to the trailer. Yes. He has to kill her for 40. Find her, kill her, or his family is going to die. And he gets like $40,000. The money's a weird thing. Like, it really doesn't apply. Because, you know, it's the whole, we'll kill your family if you don't do this. I don't know why they even added in the money offer in there. So you have to buy that the super secret cabal can do all this. They know what phone he has. He keeps borrowing strangers' phones, and they keep calling him. So they know what phone he has. They never explain how they can see him, and yet they couldn't figure out who this person was. She was literally in a building where she witnessed something, and they didn't think to check the security footage there and discover her identity. It doesn't make any sense. This is one of those movies 
where they have so many henchmen, you feel like their task is to cross the street, but the approach they take is to go around the whole world the other way to get to the other side of the street. It's that complex. Oh, yeah. I hear you. So the characters in question are all archetypes. It's just like Murder on the Orient Express. Instead of right. a, a duchess and a doctor, we have a nurse and a student and an actress and a musician. They're all types that you can identify. And he just goes around and talks to them all. There's a lot of walking up and down the train cars. And it, it can get pretty dull. All the action in this movie is towards the end. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Our friend Blu-ray Bob saw it with me. This is a this is what we would classify as a Bob movie. He was all about this and he thought it was pretty stupid. I'll say it's not. It's okay. <laughs> you really can't think about the plot. You just need to shut off your brain, eat the popcorn, watch the movie. Because you're just going to infuriate yourself if you actually sat down and mapped out what was going on in this movie and what the the villains are trying to accomplish. So um, Sam Neill was in this. He's wasted. He's in two scenes. Like, I, okay. I like Sam Neill. <laughs> I do too. That's why I asked about him. But they've just slapped him in there. Everyone's pretty much wasted in this movie. Liam Neeson's in every scene. I mean, of course, it's following him. Um. They named his partner Alex Murphy, which always distracted me because I don't know if you knew this, but Alex Murphy is RoboCop's real name. That's weird. I know. It was a weird name to maybe pick it for was a, a Maybe the writer was a RoboCop fan. Maybe. It's a weird nod. Patrick Wilson plays him, and he's wasted in this movie. Let me say this. It's from the director that gave us Run All Night in another Liam Neeson public transport movie which was the nonstop. It was when he was the flight marshal on the plane. Okay. That looked like Taken meets Flight Plan. I haven't seen that one, so I don't know how it stacks up. That was just my opinion from the previews. So this guy has directed, this is now his third Liam Neeson movie. They obviously have a good working relationship. Yeah, he did Unknown, right? And then Run All Night. Yep. And then uh, The Commuter. Now, this guy's also directed. And nonstop. Yep. And and nonstop, so yeah. So I, I I'm I'm struggling to find something to ask you about this film that would get what what's something. There were groans at one point in the movie. Let me point this out. In the audience. Yes, there was a dumb moment. This isn't any spoiler. He's trying to deduce who all these people are, because these are the people he doesn't recognize. The archetypes that I identified. Right. There's a dumb moment when he realizes, and this guy may or may not be the suspect, and. I'm not trying to spoil anything. This happens in the middle of the movie, you know, when there's lots of red herrings. But he notices the musician had a left-handed guitar. He's, he's noticed this now. And all of a sudden, he flashes back to earlier when the musician helped him stand up. And the musician offered his right hand to help him stand up. And he's made some kind of connection, like, this guy must be an imposter. The audience groaned at this point because it was such a dumb clue. Oh, boy. And again, I don't think necessarily helping someone up off the ground is a hand-dominant thing. I, I would help with either hand, depending on how I'm positioned. So this seems to be like, you know, Liam Neeson has finally jumped the shark. I, I, it might have happened before this. He's leaving action movies, so he says. He he realizes he he's done it. He's made tons of money. And it's just not his game anymore. He wants to do some more serious stuff. Because he hasn't been in any serious award movies, maybe since Taken. And you can't blame the guy. I mean, he's he's making tons of money in these things, obviously. Well, and he has some stuff um, that's been announced uh, for 2018. So 
that's in post-production, widows and hard powder. So it sounds like maybe, I don't know, I don't even have no clue what those are about, but yeah, it's kind of like he's kind of in that um, Harrison Ford mold. He's getting so old, you really should stop doing action films. We don't want it hurts to watch you run. And um, yeah, I, I just, is there a reason? I mean, I hate I hate to be, I, I'm the guy that wants to be positive about a movie. What's, is there some, some reason somebody should go see this at the theater? It's, it's not, I mean, it's not terrible. I mean, this isn't any, it's literally not a train wreck. So there's the pun. I mean, I was ready to call this movie a train wreck. It's not, it's fine. It's just, you just really can't think about it. You can shut off your brain. I don't know that you need to rush out to a theater to see this unless you're a Liam Neeson diehard fan, but watching it on HBO on a boring Saturday, it's okay. probably fine. But like I said, all the action, the script isn't very well spaced out. All the action does happen in the end. That's when all the gunshots and explosions, and they do take a moment from Mission Impossible. He does get blown back onto the train from an explosion, like the end of the first Mission Impossible from the helicopter to the subway. Nice. There's one of those moments, if if that's what's been missing from your life. Okay, so it sounds like the, com- the the commuter is a pass. Catch it on video on demand if you get a chance. It did lead to a fun discussion. Let me point this out. Bob and I were in the parking lot discussing the ending and a few other things, and we were having some good laughs kind of joking about a few of the things that happened in this movie. And Like I said, I, there were some groans in the audience, so just, just shut your brain off. If you're really just looking for an action movie and there's – there's nothing really coming out to Black Panther. Yeah. So if you really need a fix, maybe check this one out in a matinee or, or just wait, because I think it'll hit video pretty fast. Okay. Well, that's one movie I've seen, The Post. One movie you've seen, The Commuter. Do we have one in common? And we have one movie in common. I think we've both seen Downsizing, right? Yes. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll ask the question, why did Matt Damon go and decide to go small? Please state your full legal names. Audrey Lustig Sophronic. Paul Norris Sophronic. And do you understand that of your own free will, you will undergo the permanent and irreversible medical procedure commonly known as downsizing, and that following the procedure, your bodies will be approximately 0.0364% of their current mass and volume? Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Paul, I need a yes or no? Yes. Yes. And do you understand that there exists an approximately 1 in 225,000 chance that the procedure could result in injury, permanent disability, or death? Yes. 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 All right, and we're back. And our last movie of the night is Downsizing. And Downsizing stars Matt Damon and Christopher Waltz and a full cast and crew of folk directed by Alexander Payne, who brought us Election, Sideways, Sideways, The Descendants, Nebraska. Nebraska, some great movies. I mean, really strong, strong directorial credits there. And Downsizing is described, according to IMDb, as a social satire in which a man realizes he would have a better life if he were to shrink himself to five inches tall, allowing him to live in wealth and splendor. And if you've seen any of the trailers, this is what we don't usually get into a whole lot of spoilers, but 
I don't know how far, how how much we'll hold to that rule in this movie. Um, it's the trailers are played for comedic value. A lot of comedic puns on, oh, look, now we're five inches tall. We can live in a, a, a mansion. Here's a huge bottle of vodka. Huge bottle of vodka. Yeah, you know, all of the tropes. Um, you know, one Oreo would feed you dessert for a month, that kind of thing, you know, uh, that comes with that. So I'm curious, uh, Adam, you saw this back in September. Yeah, it was the closing film of Fantastic Fest, so it's been a little while since I've seen it. And I saw it last week in the theaters. And it's already out of theaters for the most part. And it's already moved out. I saw it on a Wednesday night. Um, my kids have an appointment every Wednesday night in town, and I had two hours to kill. And downsizing just happened to be starting exactly when um, I had the time to go see it, you know? Uh, pun intended, its box office was minuscule. And <laughs> audiences only liked it a tad better than Mother. Well, that's saying something. Yeah. So the real question is, Adam, what did you think of downsizing? Well, I was looking forward to it at Fantastic Fest because I mean, there's a lot of uh, Alexander Payne movies I really like from Election to Sideways. We already mentioned him, Nebraska. I liked a lot of his movies. I think he has an interesting voice as a director. And the preview was interesting. This was Alexander Payne doing something a little sci-fi-ish. And it came on. Uh, we were among the first audiences to see this movie. I don't know if we were the first. And it was not well received at Fantastic Fest, which is surprising because Fantastic Fest has always felt a little bit like a safe place to debut a film because the audiences are are grateful this film came to us. Then no one really wants to trash anything. But from what I could observe and, and hear and, and, and had actual discussions with people, there was almost immediately a, a backlash against this film. And it was a rarity for Fantastic Fest. And I myself am in the negative camp for this one. I, I really did not like this movie. Well, I, I'm going to be in the other camp. I really did like this movie, and um, and, and I, I I promise you, over the course of the next ten fifteen minutes, as we talk about this, I'm probably going to agree with all of the hangups you have with this movie. You but know? something about it worked for you. But something about this movie works for me. I really this movie surprised me. I was expecting a whole movie full of small puns and satire and you know, cliche comedy. And what you see in the trailer is not at all what the story is about. Um, the story really, whether whether you believe it succeeds or not, a lot of people don't, and a lot of people have the same reaction you, you do, Adam. Um, the story really is trying to be a social set. It's really trying to speak about society and, so, and social issues. And should we say... What really makes us happy, you know? I mean, Matt Damon plays a character that goes on a journey to try to find happiness. Though Some people would argue, does he ever really find that happiness, you know? I would answer yes. I, I, I think he does come to a place of inner peace and fulfillment with his life in this film. Uh, others probably will disagree with me. So, I don't know, Adam, Take your, go ahead and throw your, throw your two cents <laughs> in here. I'm curious because... I want to hear, I mean, I'm enjoying hearing your take on it because, I mean, I felt like this movie touch, took such a scattershot approach to the subject matter. And the thing, honestly, is this This is going to surprise you if you've seen the trailers, and there was two of them. The second trailer does actually spoil that his wife does not go with him. You actually see that in the trailer. Yes. That she stays big, and, and she doesn't transition down to the smaller size. 
this movie cost, uh, I believe, Paramount $70 million. Okay? <laughs> and, you know, there there's special effects in this movie. Yeah. And it's really not about being small. I... I <laughs> I feel like Alexander Payne cost the studio a lot of money to make this movie when it almost has nothing to do outside of three sight gags with changing size. He could have just moved to a new town, a compound, something to change up his life, but the, the, the whole shrinking thing really doesn't tie into the movie at all. It doesn't affect anything. Okay, here's how I disagree with you. Okay. I, I hear what you're saying, and and I see how you can draw that conclusion. But the whole concept, he, he doesn't play going small as a joke. It's not about the gags. It's not about the um, uh, let's show, let's every other scene. Really, going small is a metaphor for shrinking down to what is really valuable in life to you. And, and it's not about that it's even important to move the story forward at least from my perspective, what I think Alexander Payne is trying to do is he's trying to say, hey, there's a lot of stuff that we need to remove from our life and shrink down shrink down to what's really, really, what is the heart of the matter? What is really valuable? And even after he physically shrinks down, there's a whole lot going on between his ears and, and, and in his chest and his heart that's really messed up that he's got to figure out. And he wanders. It is very wandering. It is not the, this. I will give you this, Adam. This story is not really linked together and cohesive and maybe even real superficial purpose for what's going on here. But when you add up, this is a movie for me. When you add up the parts, the parts are great. The sum of the parts are it makes a greater whole for me personally. I loved the closing shot of this film. Um Funny story, I'm picking my kids up, and I get a text from my daughter, we're ready to get picked up. And so I had to leave about a minute and a half before this film was over, right? So I didn't get to see the closing shot. So the next time I was at the theater, I snuck over to Downsizing, and I watched the closing shot, and I loved the closing shot. I loved the choices that Matt Damon made, even though they seem ridiculous. Why Why would you go through A, B, C, D, and E on this Gulliver's Travels journey of yours to, to, to not do what obviously F or G the next step should be. But that's the whole point. That's not the obvious next step. The obvious next step is what he did. He's, he's downsized and he's really gotten to the heart of what's important for him. He's finally found peace. He's finally found contentment. Dare I say, finally found maybe love. I don't know. Finally found maybe a purpose for life. So I, I don't, you know, with, with his role. And uh, so for me, I really connect. I know this film has a ton of flaws, um, some really weak spots. But for me, I really connected with it and liked it. Okay. And, and just so I'm clear on my point, and it, it just, again, I, I feel like this was so financially irresponsible on behalf of a filmmaker that was maybe given too much of a budget. For reference, this was only slightly cheaper than The Martian. <laughs> I know. And this is a this is a, a comedy, and I the same movie could have been made if he just went to a new colony in Europe that was closed off. Once you entered the colony, no one else could come. So if his wife stayed behind, right, it would be the same movie. Well, yeah, no, I I, I mean I'm okay. I I I can't concede that point because 
It's the whole point of the downsizing. He downsized his life. Let's say he leaves everything behind. I mean, it, the size thing doesn't matter. Outside of a visual joke here or there, it has no impact on the story or his existence. If he had moved to a new colony with, you know, with the money, let's say in your new colony they have their own currency. Because right. that's, that's the reason they downsize in this movie. Oh, yeah. Is your 58,000 turns into a couple million. It's to live like kings in a mansion. Right. So that's what I'm saying. You know, that's that's the biggest impact that the size has on this. But if you just had a new currency that had a transition, you know, an exchange rate. I hear what you're saying. And I think probably on a level it probably could have worked that way. Go ahead. Now, my biggest knock on this film is I felt that it was fairly cowardly in dealing with any social issues it brought up. I am now holding above my head so that Roger can see it. A flowchart map that I designed that identifies 11, 11 topics that this movie brings up and then immediately pulls a hard right and does not address, does not have the courage to even explore these topics. So let me begin. Go for it. Uh, <clears throat> so immediately he's unexpectedly single. This is the only thing that the movie issues deals with. Is because he, right. he finds a new relationship. His right. wife didn't come with him. So this is the through line of the movie, right? The first issue you experience goes to the end. The rest of this journey that I've kind of mapped out. Okay, what are the rest of the things? Um, being single and having to make new friends. Yep. That's thrust upon him. He's lost half his wealth because the wife kept some, so he's got to now take a job that he doesn't like. Yep. Then we find out that some... Uh, some people, mainly the minorities in the film, have been downsized against their will. And they're serving in similar roles as they do in our world, where they're, they're maids, they're landscapers. They're forced into the same roles, and this was happened to them against their will. Um, other racial issues, they live outside of the town and have formed their own community. They're not really welcome. What was the name of the town? Pleasantville or something? Uh, I, I can't remember. And then the income inequality there, same thing. Um, he gets into a new relationship, and it comes down to maybe service to others. She does; Her life is fuller than his because she helps people. She works hard all day, and she comes home, and she takes care of everybody. Then we get into an ecological disaster and the question about starting over all, all over again. So none of these issues are really dealt with. I don't feel that the movie really says anything about society so much as it's just about his character. And okay. satire is usually about a broader subject matter, politics sure. or something. Absolutely. And this is more of a, an individual's journey yeah. that I didn't feel like there was a lot of satire in here. And, and, and I'm not going to argue. I think you have valid points there. Now, let me look at it from, let me explain it from my perspective. So going down your list, I made some notes here. Uh, first thing happens, he's, he's divorced and he's left to be single. That's part of the downsizing. That's part about it, it's not. It can't be somebody else you're dependent on. It, you, you have to find inner peace within yourself, not not in some not in your partner in life kind of a deal. Then he lost his wealth, right? He had to go take a job. That's part of the downsizing as well, too, in the sense of you can't be money will not make you happy. You have to learn that lesson. Well, He's got the rich friend that pretty much provides everything he needs and takes him on the trip and everything else. Uh, uh, so money is still pretty that, important. That was fortuitous for him. Very, <laughs> very convenient. Again, this is what I mean about the hard right. <laughs> they could have dealt with that he didn't have the money and had to live this new life. And then suddenly they just slap on a rich friend that takes care of him. 
yes. poof, issue goes away. Again, it, it's a lack of courage, yeah. I think, to address any of these issues. Yeah. Then we get into the whole social economic class classes classism. Um, the people who live outside the town, the people who have to work really hard, people don't have anything. Um, yet we see them portrayed in a light where some of them are discouraged and down, but many of them are very happy. They're kids playing out in the yard, playing the soccer or whatever. You know, I mean, there's mo- happiness can be found no matter where you are in your social standing. I thought that message to me came across pretty clear. Um, and you made a you made a comment. Her life is uh, more important than his. You know that no, I said fuller, fuller. And so that, to me, again, deals with the downsizing of, you know, it's not about all the things. She's showing him it's all the things you thought were will make your life full will not make your life full. You know, I can have a happy, great life even though I have a bum leg and I've got downsized against my will and I have to, you know, it hurts all the time. My prosthetic doesn't work. I've got to work this menial job cleaning toilets and stuff. I can still be a very happy person and have a fulfilled life, right? And then we get into the economic disaster. And, you know, they have to have a plot point. Is this a perfect movie? By far, no, it's not. I'm going to concede there's some really, you know. uh, But if the economic, if the ecological disaster, I'll call it that way, the way it should be. If this geo disaster, this geo storm, this end of the world idea that could maybe happen, whatever this event was going to be at the end, he has a choice. Do I take what the masses would do and be safe or do I go to where I really find peace and fulfillment and happiness? And I love the choice that he makes. So I get it. I, I, I can't believe this has been our big discussion of the podcast. No, I, I figured it would be. <laughs> but I, I did. I do like this movie. I re, and I get. I, I can see every one of your points. I don't know why, for some reason, this movie just worked for me. And you said choices he makes. I mean, this is a movie where I felt like this character was strapped to the rails. For whatever reason, it's just the way the movie presents the new issues. I don't feel like he was really making any choices. He doesn't make choices. Okay. Until the very end. He makes that choice. But even like when they introduce, what's her name in the movie? And I will say this. I really like the actress in this movie. She played, um, well, her name is Hong Chao in real life. She's great. Um, I think she was the true standout of the whole film. But even she immediately bosses him around. I mean, this is... The movie just lays out a track, even though it, it doesn't make much sense and winds all over the place, and he's just strapped to it. I don't think he's got yeah, any real no. agency in himself. The, the, his story is thrust upon him, yeah. whether he wants to, wants it to or not, because if his wife had not left him, he'd have just stayed there in the mansion and never done anything else. He has to be pushed to the point where he's going to be pushed into what I would call the wrong choice to make at the end of the movie, and he finally pushes back and says, and I just want to spoil the movie, but he finally pushes back and says, I'm going to make the choice that that is right for me. So, Did you care what choice he made? Absolutely. You did? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was so checked out by that point. No, I, I, I was like, don't you dare go this direction. And I was about ready to say, if he goes down this direction, I'm going to hate this movie. Yeah. I was already there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean this. It was a miss for me, and you know you should. I can't recommend you check this one out, but 
I think audiences probably didn't like it because they probably felt misled by the trailer. Uh, yeah, I will say that I agree. The trailer is very misleading. I will say this: you don't have to see this movie in the theater. I, and you can't now. It's out. I think it's it, yeah. got, it, it hasn't had. But I would totally recommend this movie. Video on demand, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. You're kicking around. You just want to have something to watch. You want to have something to talk to somebody about. If you see it and disagree with me, feel free to jump on our Facebook page. Let us know. The other interesting discussion that popped out of this movie was Hong's character. Um, the movie was written by Alexander Payne. I believe he had a co-writer. But there were some people that raised some concerns that she was way stereotypical and maybe too over the top for her portrayal of, uh, I think she was Chinese or Vietnamese. I think Vietnamese, Vietnamese yeah. of a Vietnamese immigrant with her language pattern in her performance. Or maybe Korean, North and Korean. I, no, I, I don't I can't, I can't remember either. Yeah, I mean, it was September when I saw it. But there were concerns that this was a very stereotypical character um, written by a white guy. And it was sort of the magical character role that's been upset in the past. Like, they used to call it the magical Negro. Like, a Legend of Bagger Vance. You know, a character right. that come out. And Spike Lee talks a lot about this. If you ever are interested in the topic, you should read that. But giving some... Our saving comes from, you know, this other character. And just listening to them saying that we're not listening to these characters. And I, I, think, I think there is some truth to that. That he did write this character as the magical, spiritual mystic well, savior for well, him. Well, I, I will say this. There were one or two times that thought crossed my mind while I was watching this movie, thinking, she's really pushing the envelope, but people are going to be a little bit turned off by this performance. Yeah. You know, I think she was great. And, and it was, you can tell, it's not the actress's choice. This is the director's choice. Yeah, and I one. think she was standout, but I, I will concede that I, that thought did come to me once or twice during the movie, thinking, I think maybe she's, People are going to be a little bit ruffled by this performance. Yep. So there it is, downsizing. And for once, Roger and I actually disagree. <laughs> Usually we agree on everything. Well, it just happens every once in a while. All right, when we come back, we're going to do coming attractions and let you know what's coming up on next week's episode of the Film Coterie. Check out the music. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back, and uh, last segment of the show is our coming attractions. And so, Adam, what do we have on the docket for next week's show? We are going to discuss the absolutely crazy Russian documentary, The Road Movie. I am so looking forward to this. And it's a, a compilation of Russian dash cam footage assembled in kind of a mixtape kind of way and presented as a, as a full-length movie. Yeah, and you know, I'm curious to watch this because I'm wondering... You can go to YouTube and just type in Russian dash cam footage. How will this distinguish itself from a YouTube video? So be be fun to watch that and talk about it on the show. And we're also going to see the new Chris Hemsworth vehicle, 12 Strong, about the secret uh, horsemen soldiers that were instrumental in the early fall of the Taliban. Yeah, the horse soldiers, the, the first strike unit after 9-11. And uh, 
that'd be interesting to see, you know, um, uh, just see if they put it together and this has the makings of an action film kind of a kind of a deal so it'd be fun to take a look at that as well too and see what we thought about it so um anything else happening or uh we are now on the iHeartRadio podcast network oh yes so if you have the app if you subscribe to the website look us up that's our newest home uh we're still on soundcloud itunes tune in google play stitcher uh, we're everywhere. Everywhere and you get podcasts. You, you can, can find, find us, us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com backslash filmcoterie. We're on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at filmcoterie. And if you just want to send us a plain old email, it's always just filmcoterie at gmail.com. There you go. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. You guys have a great one. And we'll see you next time on the Film Coterie Podcast. <laughs>